is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour underway. Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome and uh, welcome to another hour of Flames Talk. It is Tuesday, February 27th. Steinberg along with you as we kick off the sports drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've got lots to get to this hour. We are 10 days from the 2024 NHL trade deadline. And for the Flames, we are four games from the 2024 trade deadline and that's where we're starting as we say hello to our NHL insider Frank Saravalli brought to you by Self Trail Chrysler where they always make the buying process simple look for the big Canadian flag at 130th Ave or visit selftrailchrysler.com uh, Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and dailyfaceoff.com Frank um, we're into the stretch drive the deadline stretch is upon us isn't it it is it's uh you wouldn't know it, though, based on looking at the trade tracker. 25 days since the last trade in the league. It's I can't really remember a deadline quite like this one. Yeah, it's uh, and, and it's shaping up like maybe we will have plenty to talk about on Friday, March 8th, when we get up to that 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Mountain Time deadline. Okay. We better. 10 have days a four-hour show. Yeah, us too. We're, we're we're on. I don't even know how long we're on for on Friday. So I'm I'm with you on that front. Um, okay. As as we sit in the final week and a half until deadline day, as you understand it, where are things sitting? How do things sit on Noah Hannafin and the Calgary Flames? I think the Flames are more or less being held hostage right now by Noah Hannafin and his camp. I think they've exerted significant pressure on the process indirectly and not necessarily through his 10 team, no trade list, but more or less by signaling to potentially interested teams, Hey, save the trouble here. This guy's a pure rental. He's not interested in resigning with you or might not be that of all the teams that might be interested, it's certainly limiting the market in that sense. And I don't have a real firm grasp on what his yes list looks like in terms of teams mm-hmm. that might be he might be interested in playing for in the future. But I do know that the two teams in the state of Florida, the Panthers and the Lightning, are both on it. Um, and I think it's been difficult for Calgary from that perspective that they're kind of boxed into a corner here right now and trying to get the best return possible. And this has been a very unique situation in the sense that most pending UFAs don't, they don't really get in the way. Hey, if you trade me here to one place, fine. I'll, you know, I'll sign wherever I want in the summer. No big deal. I'll get a chance to chase the Stanley cup. It doesn't seem like, they're nearly as amicable in the Hannafin case. 
It's um and and it's one of those situations, Frank, where yeah, I, I think because of that, it's uh, killed uh, some some potential trade talks before they have been able to to get even close to the finish li- finish line, or it's it's sent trade discussions on a different path because feels like rental prices for this player are nowhere near the same as what they'd be if there's a contract that is signed or, or potentially able to be signed with that new team. And it's it's funny because, you know, one of the things you brought up a few weeks ago when reacting to the Elias Lindholm return is that there, there, there weren't very many teams who were all that worried about whether or not Hannafin, uh, sorry, uh, Lindholm was going to sign an extension with them and the Flames still got five pieces in that return. Whereas Hannafin, yes, we know that it's uh, four or five teams that, that Hannafin would probably re-sign with. I think this is, it's, it's as small as that on the number but why is the rental market nowhere near the same for this player in your eyes why aren't teams necessarily at this point willing to give up the assets in a rental trade for Hannafin the same way they were with Lindholm is it just a positional thing part of it's positional not everyone needs a left shot defenseman and part of it is asset you know requirements not a lot of the teams that would consider him on a pure rental basis. And I don't think the list is very long because I think teams have noted that if you know the guy's walking and there's no chance to convince him, it's it might not be worth the squeeze. But some of the teams that might be don't have the picks and prospects to get it done. And that's the other part of this that I think is yep. helping limit the market in that sense. Well, and and for instance, a Tampa Bay or a Florida could very well just say, well, we think he wants to sign here. Let's let's try our chances in July and maybe go a different direction between the trade deadline, which is 100%. between now and the trade deadline. We, we even touched on that a little bit last week, and I, I wonder how much of that thought process is, is going through some of these GMs, other GMs' minds right now. How could you spend something you don't have? Neither one of those teams has a first-round pick until 2026, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, where, how, how do you find a way to shape a deal that is beneficial for the Calgary Flames? The only way that I could see it with um, Tampa Bay is if they would relent on the Isaac Howard conversation. I know they love that guy, um, but the I, I, I just wonder if, if they were willing to put him into the conversation, I wonder if that might start to tip the scales to maybe something getting done. But I, I honestly have no feel as to whether or not Tampa would be interested in doing okay. that. Yeah, I mean, okay, so Howard's a good starting point for sure, and I, I love what I've seen from him. Transferring from Minnesota Duluth to Michigan State, he was a force in the World Juniors, like a clutch player. But then what else are you attaching to it? It can't just be one for one, I don't think, especially maybe maybe that would allow them to be a little less um, kind of reticent on accepting the 2026 first. I, I know if that's the main part of it, maybe they're not as dialed on it, but if you could get Howard in a 2026 first, maybe the conversation begins or or it's a little bit easier to have those conversations. That That's kind of my thought process. I just process. don't have any evidence that the Lightning are willing to consider that. And that's that. That's where we get hung up, right? That's where because things get hung go, up. Go back to exactly what you just said. 
if you know the player prefers to come to you and play and potentially for free mm-hmm. on July 1, do you need to give up your best and I would argue only real prospect? Mm-hmm. I, I probably wouldn't be eager to do so knowing what's on the other end of some of these players and their contracts and their ages. You I guess need it would players de- to replenish your system. It would depend if if you're Tampa. It would depend on you know the the behind closed doors conversations in terms of how legitimate they believe their Stanley Cup chances are. If they if they believe behind closed doors that they can get back to a fourth Stanley Cup final in five years or whatever it is, maybe they are willing to completely drain their assets and, and completely go all in on a player like Hannafin. But if they don't, maybe they just ride it out and, and see if there's a chance that Sergeyev could return or something like that. I That... that, that that would be the only way I could see Julien Brisbois go that way and say, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to push all in for a player like that or somebody else. Let me take it a step further. So let's say you're Tampa and let's say you've just hypothetically, you've made the determination that you think you can get to a fourth cup final in five years. And you think that this team is, is really good, which I think is to me, at least right now, a bit of a stretch based on what we've seen, but let's say all that's true. Is Noah Hannafin putting your team over the top? That's, I think, the next fair question to right. ask. Right. He's having he's having a hell of a year. I think that he has put himself into the conversation of, of being a bona fide top pair defenseman on most teams in this league. Does he push you over the top? I don't know if he is th- to, to that extent. But I, I think he's a really good player. Like he instantly makes a blue line go from one level to the next because he can he can solidify you on the left side. He can play twenty four, twenty five minutes, and his offensive game has taken a big step. I, I will I will give him yeah. that all day. I, his assertiveness has certainly been noted this year. I would say the confidence that he's played with has been big. I just when you talk to teams. And what his overall impact is like, again, I think all those things you just said are true. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's not a number one. Mm -hmm. He's a top pair guy. So maybe we're splitting hairs, but the, the closest comps that I continue to get were Damon Severson on, on total impact of the game for Noah. Right. Right. And, and Severson's a really good player. Like, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know that he takes the lightning and vaults them into the inner circle of cup contenders this year. Last, uh, last point on Hannafin. It kind of feels like because of the grind that it's been so far to try to get what the Flames believe Hannafin is worth, this one feels like there's a good chance it could go right up to Friday, March 8th to to see if maybe they could wait out one of those teams that Hannafin is willing to sign with and maybe they could extract the maximum value here or close to it. But it, for Craig Conroy, he might have to have 10 more sleepless nights here. Huh. I mean, poor guy is I – don't, I don't think he's had a chance to even catch his breath since taking over this franchise. Like, No. I, I – he's – yeah, he's been in one. But what I would say is I wouldn't be shocked to see Hannafin go down to the wire, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be shocked to see Tanev either. And I think the best way to judge and grade all of this out 
which obviously takes time anyway, is to view whatever the Flames get in totality for Tanev and Hannafin and the rest of their pending unrestricted free agents going back to the Toffoli deal. Because in some ways, based on the market limitations and what we've talked about with Tan- with Hannafin, it, they, they don't exist with Tanev and they may be able to get just a little bit more for Tanev by holding out till the last minute, provided that he stays healthy. And they might be able to get a team to blink and give them a straight up first round pick that they've been seeking. And so in that case, you might need to squeeze a little bit more on Tanev. You might be taking a little bit less on Hannafin, but the overall end result will probably be something that, you know, Flames fans can be happy with. Where where do things sit on the Tanev front? That one feels a little bit more cut and dried. It's going to be a rental most likely and, and just waiting out to see what the max value they're going to be able to get. That one seems a little bit less swimming in the gray right now, hey? It, yeah, there's really not much gray at all. It's The Flames have had multiple teams put second-round picks on the table. No one yet, to my knowledge, has been willing to put a first down and to that end the second someone does i think they get him and i think everyone knows that that's what the asking price is now in the meantime if that doesn't materialize between now and you know less than 10 days from now at 1 p.m mountain time what can the flames get in addition how good could could a conditional second round pick be and turning into a first how realistic what kind of prospect can you get can you grade them out to be a, a B or maybe even an A prospect? Um, and what does the rest of the deal look like? Does someone need salary retention? Those are all parts that go into it. And there's been no shortage of teams that have been interested. I think somewhere around 10 teams overall. Um, eight, I would say, really bona fide suitors. Um, and... Where that ends up being, hard to handicap, but I certainly, you know, I think the Flames were in a pretty good spot with Tanev and the Dallas Stars, and that didn't ultimately end up materializing, but I think they're very much still in the mix. Okay. When uh, they got four games, three at home, then a game in Tampa Bay before the deadline on Thursday of next week to kick off a road trip. How many more games should the Flames be playing these two guys in? We just had a Wes and I just had a fascinating conversation about it in the last hour of Flames talk. Like they're in a playoff race. They are fighting for their playoff lives. They want to make the playoffs, but you also need to protect assets. It is a delicate balance they're trying to strike here. Every game. Play them in every game. And I had been saying to you earlier in the deadline period, hey, maybe mm-hmm. it's time to take a step back with Tanev. You've come this far. Your team is closer now than you were. Continue to send the message about competing. Uh, we, even with all those things that I mentioned about the market and how delicate it may or may not be, we're talking about 10 more days. And I think it makes sense, at least three of them, to give your team the best and most the longest runway possible given that you know it's going to be a lot harder on the other end of that to make the playoffs maybe Mm -hmm. on the back of jacob markstrom maybe not 
that you want to give them at least every fighting chance yep. you can. The only game I w- I'm with you, um, I w- where I came down on it was I'd play them the next three games on this homestand. So this game against L.A. Tuesday, Saturday's game against Pittsburgh, and Monday against Seattle. But I probably would leave them back here as they hit the road for that uh, trip through Florida and the mm-hmm. southeast. Probably wouldn't play them on the Thursday. Yeah, but you're... Also, assuming something material doesn't materialize True. now and then. True. That is, and, if uh, this thing is going to the wire. Yeah, and maybe you just have no Hannafin all packed up, and you can drop him somewhere in Florida anyway. <laughs> maybe you can. Uh, Frank Saravalli is with us. Our daily face-off NHL insider joins us Tuesday. Okay, let's switch it up. Still flames adjacent uh, because uh, an interesting piece up at Daily Faceoff on this Tuesday, and and kind of the the juiciest detail in there is about UC Saros and the Nashville Predators. Whenever people are talking about goaltending these days, the the two sexiest names have been Saros and Jacob Markstrom. But from your understanding, as things sit ten days from the deadline, Frank, is is Saros even actually on the market right now? Not to my knowledge, and it's not necessarily my own, but there's at least one team that's been really interested and shown significant, demonstrated significant interest in Soros over the last couple weeks. And I think, I believe it's the New Jersey Devils after things fell apart with the Flames and Markstrom. They circled in on Soros and... My understanding is that they were told, teams told me that the Preds have informed them, hey, we're, you know, we're in a playoff spot. We're not intent on trading UC Soros at this exact moment in time. They, I think Barry Trotz feels like he owes it to his team. Having gotten this far, they won five straight. Again, this was supposed to be a year that they were kind of retooling, rebuilding. They're not really all that different than the Flyers and the number of pieces that they moved out in the summer and to still be right there in the wild mm-hmm. card. Um, he doesn't want to rip out the backbone of his team. And I also think it makes sense from a pure market perspective because this was one of the big themes as I really drilled down on the goaltending market as a whole this summer and and right now in the piece. It's, it's kind of a really weak free agent goalie class. You know, typically we see this game of goalie musical chairs that spins in the summer, like 20 to 30 guys are available. It feels like every given summer and the guys of impact right now that are slated to be available, the list isn't very long. So my point with that is if someone is really interested in Markstrom or someone is really interested in Soros they're likely to still be interested in the summer and they're also likely to have five more teams interested that would like to shake up their goaltending or change things. And so I don't think there's a real rush to do it now. I would say the same thing exists with the Flames and Markstrom. If you get a nice deal, you get a great deal. Okay, fine. Pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. In Nashville, it feels like it's, you got to make a Godfather type offer of one that you can't refuse. And short of that, I, I mean, I just think the goaltending market as a whole is so limited. I see New Jersey right now, unless I'm missing something with the Kings and they suddenly you know, materialize with cap space overnight, I think New Jersey is the only team 
that would be willing to take on Markstrom right now. And any sense on where that all sits with Markstrom and Calgary right now? Well, if the, the Preds are out, which I believe to be true right now, mm-hmm. again, the usual trade deadline caveats and couching, which is the Godfather offer and or the Preds wheels falling off somehow over the next nine days and they fall out of it, which I just don't mathematically, it's going to be really hard to do. Um, I, I think he's Soros is staying put and therefore that puts, you know, New Jersey back at square one. How aggressive will they be in solving their goaltending problem? This is a multi-year, multi layered issue i wrote in the piece today in five years of tom fitzgerald running the devils as gm they're on track for the third time to finish in the bottom two in the league in save percentage that's through Mm. blackwood and vanacek and now nico dawes and all these different guys that have been in the role no one's seemingly able to get the job done and so is that a personnel issue? Is it on their defense? Is it on the coaching staff and Lindy Ruff? They've got a lot to figure out, and they're short on time. Yeah. Um. Okay. Two questions kind of league-wide then to, to wrap things up, and, and both of them are very interesting in terms of the way things are going. They're both Canadian markets as well. Let's start in Winnipeg. Why? What was the commissioner doing in the Manitoba capital today? Why, uh, why on Tuesday afternoon is Gary Bettman doing a news conference in Winnipeg? He's making a friendly visit. He's doing so at the request of Jets owner Mark Chipman, and it's not really all that different than, and I, you're going to laugh when I say this, it's not really all that different than he would for any other owner at any other point in time. Mm-hmm. The franchise calls and says, hey, we need you. We could help us out in a big way. Can you come out here and spend some time and take in a game? And the answer is almost always yes. And so Chipman and the Jets laid it on really thick in an interview with the athletic last week, basically saying that what's going on ticket sales wise is not sustainable for this team for the long haul. That touched a nerve that, you know, really has set off some anxiety in the Winnipeg market and rightfully so given what they've been through. I personally believe, and I said this on my show today before Gary Bettman said this, which is, this is really much ado about nothing. They're trying to cajole some sales. They're trying to increase their season ticket base. They're trying to sell more corporate sponsorships. All those things are true, but I don't think the Winnipeg Jets are in any danger, 0% danger of going anywhere. And basically what we're dealing with is some poor performance by the Jets off the ice in terms of selling and servicing their fan base. And the comments have rang clear over the last number of days publicly from their fans. And the other part is a cyclical nature of sport. You can't be at the very top forever. These things go in ebbs and flows. That's just the part, just salary caps part of it, drafting and developing is part of it, ticket sales is part of it. It happens. The fan base turns over at times. Old ones go out, young ones come in. 
the economy changes, all these things happen. And my point with all of this is don't listen and don't let the Jets owners cry poor. You have a franchise that's gone from $170 million when you purchased it to at least $700 million, and I would argue $1 billion in value. Whatever checks that they're writing at the end of the year to float the team right now in a tough year, first off, they're being buoyed by revenue sharing. And second, you're basically writing a check to yourself because of the value in the franchise. Mm -hmm. So the next part is, and the other part that no one really wants to say out loud, is Mark Chipman's partner here is David Thompson. Yes. He's the richest man in Canada and the 24th richest man in the world. I don't know about you. I would just like to be the 24th richest man in my postal code. Okay. That's, and just Bet Betman was asked about that today. And he said, just because someone has their resources doesn't necessarily mean they want to deploy it as you see fit. But the Jets are obviously a valuable enterprise. And more than that, for him to chip in a check every now and again doesn't even register as a rounding error for someone that has $61 billion. Yeah. Yeah, so just the, please, just, enough, enough with the nonsense. Just the uh, well, though, is that uh, when when you get into the billions, is that uh, is that ten digits, uh, or in his case, eleven digits? We're talking about, yeah, it's tough to, uh, it's it is tough no one to cry cares about the fifteen million dollar check that you're writing or whatever it might be. Again, it's a tax yeah. write off. Yeah. Um. And then finally, let's wrap up in Vancouver because look, I I, I love that market. Um, I've you know I've got some close family out there, so I'm I, I try to stay as in tune to the the Vancouver market and Canucks fans as, as much as I can, being here in Calgary and. The, the discourse about Elias Pettersson's future in Vancouver is he's in the final year of a contract before being a restricted free agent this summer. The, the discourse does not feel positive, and it is becoming more and more, um, I don't know, people are clenching a little bit more in terms of, is this guy going to be a long-term member of the Vancouver Canucks? Frank, it's February. He doesn't have a contract, and it doesn't feel like that's knocking on the door. Where, From your understanding, where do things sit with the Canucks and Elias Patterson. It's awkward. That's the best way to describe it. I think there's been some frustration on the Canucks part. That part has metastasized, I would say, since I talked to Patrick Alvin first about the Pedersen extension or possibility going back to November. This is someone that they feel like in every turn, they've made a good faith effort to negotiate in a real meaningful way, meaning I, we all believe that they've put $12 million a year on the table for however long he wants it. You want to do four years? Great. Five years? Sure. Eight years? Awesome. Whatever it is, they're willing to negotiate and have him sign on the dotted line, but they can't get there. They can't get an answer. They can't get a reason as to why this has been so slow. Now, that being the case, what I would say is, Let's not jump from A to Z here and say because he's not signed that he won't sign. I don't have any indication yet that that's the case. Mm -hmm. The Canucks don't have any indication yet that's the case because I don't think Pedersen even has an indication as to what he's thinking. 
So until we really understand and can glean some line of sight on where his his head is at, I think it's way premature to you know be erupting as the Vancouver market is wont to do into this space where it's paranoia. Yeah, you've got one of the very best teams in the league. He's played like one of the very best players in the league. He's under team control next year. Just sit back and allow this to work itself out. If we get to June 30th and he has declared that he wants out, well, that's a different story, but we're not there yet. Yep. Good stuff. As always, my friend, appreciate it. Appreciate the insight on the flames and what's happening in this market and uh, around the league as well. When we talk in one week's time, we will be uh, just a few days away from deadline day 2024. The stretch drives upon us, my friend. Thank you as always. Hey, talk to you next week. He's Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff, dailyfaceoff.com. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, and he joins us brought to you by Self Trail Chrysler, where they always make the buying process simple. Look for the big Canadian flag at 130th Ave or visit selftrailchrysler.com. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. to go inside hockey on this Tuesday brought to you by Calgary Co-op it's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson along with you on this hour of Flames Talk thanks to Frank Saravalli for kicking off this hour lots of good stuff in there and you know one of the more interesting questions I have right now about the the current incarnation of the Flames and and probably the future as well even after some of these trades get made who are like what is the best fit for this group of 12 forwards like how do they best stack up and I think the most I guess the most interesting one for me is who should be playing on the right side of Sharon Govich and Huberto right now should Sharon Govich continue to be a center? Where do Kuzmenko, Hunt, and Pelche fit? Like, I'm really curious about all of this as we move into the final quarter of the season because are you of the opinion that the Kadri line and the Backland line should be staying pretty static the way that they've played? Yeah, and, you know, I made a mention of this in something I, I wrote yesterday, and I, I was just sort of struck by the uniqueness of a situation where your quote-unquote second line is sort of set in stone, right? We know Kadri, Pospisil, and Zeri, unless you want to try one of those kids at center, is probably not changing. And you have a third line that's set in stone in Backland between Coleman and Manjapani. And so you're either a first-liner or you're a fourth-liner if you're in flux. And what we're talking about now with Sharon Govich and Huberto is trying to fill that spot on the first line. Well, if the only options you have are coming up from the fourth line, like Dryden Hunt, who I, I think played a hell of a game in Edmonton, I, I actually really like what he's brought on this latest call-up. You know, is he a perfect fit for an NHL first line, though? Absolutely not. If Andre Kuzmenko falls out of favor because of his defensive struggles, well... 
can Andre Kuzmenko, if he's not a first liner, be an effective fourth liner? Not really. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of unique circumstance this team finds itself in is you've got your second and third line set and so now you're pulling from the fourth line when you need a first liner or you're pulling from the first line when you need a fourth liner and chances are those players aren't going to be necessarily suited for the other side of that role so let's let's kind of dive in i didn't on, answer on, your question at all no did but I? it's not really an easy question yeah. to answer because there's a lot right now they're missing a center because they traded lindholm and didn't get a center back kuzmenko can't play center doesn't play center so they didn't get one back and so for the time being they've decided to try sharon govich there and while i think that he's he's done a decent job it has taken away from his offensive output, and it's taken away from how impactful and dangerous he can be on that side of the puck because he's got so many other responsibilities. And then you've got Kuzmenko and trying to figure out a place for him and where does Pelche best fit, where does Hunt best fit. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things that it, it makes it very difficult to definitively answer. I, I want to start on Kuzmenko just because I think it's important to maybe – squash some of the conspiracy theory rumors he was sick on saturday didn't play against the oilers isn't going to play a few nights later against los angeles on the tuesday this is uh, head coach ryan huska after morning skate on tuesday morning where kuzmenko uh, was odd man out will not play against the kings but it's not a performance thing uh, as as he addressed on tuesday morning is kuzmenko still under the weather he is getting better he's not quite there yet yeah, we'll expect him back on on Saturday. So Kuzmenko, but the, my my understanding is Kuzmenko was quite ill on Saturday. They sent him away from Edmonton, sent him back to Calgary mm-hmm. on Saturday because That's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But 1.5 million people haven't made that decision yet, though. Um, no, he he. Uh, they they sent him back from Edmonton to Calgary. Didn't want him to be around the group, you know, especially because you don't know at what stage something's at. So had a virus or or some sort of illness. Didn't want him around the team just for you know how things can spread around a locker room. Um, so got him away from the group. Sent him back feels like not contagious anymore and, and is fine to be around the group but apparently it took him took it quite out of him so had a apparently practice on on monday was rough and so not quite ready to get back in the lineup so you had a really good game against the oilers you don't really need to change anything so you don't need to push a depleted kuzmenko back in and then because it's not a busy week you don't play again until saturday you can just let Kuzmenko R&R it up and, and get him back in. So there's there's nothing to see here about this being some sort of Calgary Flames team misdirecting us and Kuzmenko's not sick. They're actually healthy scratching him and lying. That's not what's going on, but I know how things work at this time of year and I know how people think at this time of year. I, I get it, but that, sure. that is the situation we're talking about right now. But where those rumors are, are sort of coming from, and, and thank you for clarifying because I, I do think it's important, but where these rumors are coming from is it wasn't a virus that prevented Andre Kuzmenko playing in the third period Agreed. of the past couple of games. And yep. so that has been a, an awkward fit and with Dryden Hunt up from the American Hockey League and worth noting for those who don't follow the Wranglers very closely, Dryden Hunt was just back from injury in the AHL. So he hadn't been an option for this Flames team for a little while, but what we've seen is Ryan Huska showing a lot more defensive confidence and a lot more confidence, period, in Andre Kuzmenko, which is 
sort of where, yes, this isn't a healthy scratch. He's not healthy, but there is certainly some trust to be gained with his new coach. Agreed. In there's, there's no doubt about it, and, and that was an issue in Vancouver for Kuzmenko as well, yeah. and, and the defensive side, the engagement side, was, was an ongoing problem this year with the Canucks as well. Well, and let's talk about that for a second, because I haven't personally seen the engagement part of it to be an issue, but this is not a, a super proficient defensive player, right? That he he looks a little lost, I guess, for lack of a better term, in his own zone. I actually think he works his tail off. I, I think especially when he first got to Calgary, you know, there was a real effort to show, hey, I'm a better defensive player than I get credit for. I, I haven't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a, a much better memory than me, but I can't think of a goal where I thought, geez, Kuzmenko just quit on that play or, or, you know, Kuzmenko's dogging it on the back check there and that's the reason that puck winds up in the back of the net. That said, I also watch and see why Rick Tockett didn't have a ton of trust in him defensively. Like, yeah. it, it's just, it is by far the weakest part of his game. Yep, it, it is. And I don't think it, you know, age 28, that's something that is going to be drastically improving over the next little while either. The, prop, the problem with Kuzmenko when we have this conversation is if you're keeping the cadre line and if you're keeping the back line as is, well, there's six forward slots you're not touching. I don't think Kuzmenko is, from everything that you just laid out and I agree with, I don't think Kuzmenko makes a ton of sense with Rooney and... Pelche or Rooney and Hunt or Rooney and Dewar or whoever you want to point to. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. Where does Kuzmenko fit? That That's why it's a bit of a head-scratcher if it's not with Huberto and Sharon Govich. I, I don't know where you put Kuzmenko if you're not moving around your other two top nine lines. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. You can't necessarily have a power play specialist as a forward, although I do really like what Andre Kuzmenko is brought to the power play. They certainly miss, and we, we saw Martin Pospisil actually get a look in this role on Saturday in Edmonton briefly, but they, they miss that net front presence when they don't have Kuzmenko in the lineup. That being said, you can't just be a power play guy in the National Hockey League. And as we've both mentioned, not having the second and third line really is an option to put a guy on. It's problematic. Yep. You know, it, it it's a challenging circumstance you know what i saw someone on the text line earlier suggested try him alongside coleman and backland and i do think that's been a you know those are guys that bring the best out of anybody their line mates but that's also where andrew mangiapane has been the best and I'll, I'll put it the other way those guys have been at their best with andrew mangiapane right that's a better line with mangiapane than it was with jonathan huberto and so you know, you're kind of taking, you're, you're stealing from one to, you know, put it in the pot somewhere else. And, and so you're absolutely right. I, I think the most obvious fit because of his offensive gifts is that top line. But if it's not going to work defensively, and as we talked about on the, the round table, if, if you're spending so much time in your own zone because you're not winning that faceoff, it's an awkward fit. Would, would this be a different conversation if Jacob Pelche had been in the lineup all season? Like, do you think? Yeah, I think it would be. Yeah, yeah I really do. And I and that's the other. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't think you want Pelche permanently on the fourth line 
we saw him skate with Sharon Govich and Huberto on Saturday, but then they went to Dryden one Hunt. One shift that was, I saw. Yeah, it was one, I think they might have got him in one other one, but yeah. it might only have been the one. Yeah. Um, it was mostly Dryden Hunt, and credit to him. He walked right down Main Street on that Huberto pass oh. and scored the game winner on, on the 4-2 goal. Stop for a second. Stop for a second, because i got to ask you. Pass or shot? What was the better part of that sequence? No, no knock on Dryden. I got to say the pass oh. because Huberdo, when I so you know how far away the press box is at Rogers Place, right? Like you're basically on Mars. You might as well be the Edmonton International Airport. Like you're like they look like ants, and so you're watching and you're like, is that Huberdo? No, it's not that bad, <laughs> but you're like, okay, so like Huberdo, everything looks even slower from back there. So you're watching, you're like, okay, he's got options here, and he he waits a little bit. He's patient. And I didn't see Hunt as an option shaping up for him. He did at 200 million miles an hour at that level, and we didn't from up. But he, he had, I think Braden Pahal was sneaking down the wall, and you also had a couple of guys in the low slot or, or low slot fringe area. And instead, he found Hunt at the high slot area just inside the blue line and put it right on his tape in transit where he was able to walk down Main Street and absolutely kill that puck. But I was like, that. the fact that Huberto could find that, yeah. that shows you the vision we're talking about. Well, and at least from my vantage point, Ryan Nugent Hopkins' stick is exactly where it should be on that play. He yeah. has that whole lane defended. And Huberto just sauces it over. Yeah. Oh, what a great pass. It was perfect. Sorry uh, to interrupt you. No, but it's it's fair. And Hunt has clearly, I think of all the guys that the coach trusts most, Hunt's the guy that he, in a pinch, is, is going to lean towards there. But is that the long-term fit? I mean, he showed some nice finish on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. He's a 58-goal scorer in junior as an overager in Moose Jaw. He's a two-time 20-goal guy in the American League, and when he is a full-time AHL, or he is very productive yeah. at that league, but he, can he translate it? He's also a guy who has scored 16 goals for six different teams in the NHL. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I had a great chat with Dryden Hunt earlier this week about sort of learning where you fit at the NHL level and, you know, being hard to play against no matter what line you're on. But... Yeah, the Calgary Flames don't have a long-term fit. Uh, I, I've said plenty of nice things already. I don't think I, I necessarily need to circle back and, and mention that I'm not trying to slag on Dryden Hunt, but he's not an NHL long-term first-liner. Is that the first line? Whew. I'm, I, and I, and I yeah, say that. Yeah, for me it is because it, it's got your highest paid and most talented offensive player on it. Now... If you need a goal in the – if you judge it by needing a goal in the last 60 seconds of a game, well, I'm probably putting out the Kadri line. If you need to not give up a goal in the Back last – Back line. You're, so. I guess my my question would be, who's the number one center on this team? Nazem Kadri. And that's why yeah. I default to that being the number one line now. Yeah, that's fair. I've been, I've been debating this in my head in terms of my – I know who I put first – on my D pairings, it's Hannafin and Tanev yeah. because they consistently go first in every drill. So, okay, they clearly are slotted as the top pair, and and Anderson Weger is the one B pair, and then obviously Shillington Pahal. But the forward lines, okay, they switch it up all the time. Huska told us last week that he switches them up all the time on their depth chart internally. 
So for me, it's Zeri, uh, the Zeri line with Kadri. If Kadri's your number one center, then I've got to go with him because I always went that way with Lindholm. Whatever the line Lindholm was centering, that's your one. So now that's the way I'm looking at it with Kadri. You know, Pat, as one of the thousands of people in this market and elsewhere who finds it just easiest to wait for you to tweet the lines, mm-hmm. I'm supportive. And I appreciate, I appreciate all the thought you put into it. Thank you. Probably too much thought. Uh, that's well, our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. As we start to wrap up this hour, thanks to Cam and Shan, our producers this hour. Wes Gilbertson's on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Thanks to Frank Saravalli for joining us to kick off the hour as well. Uh, that'll wrap things up this hour, which has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.